Hey everyone, it's Melissa. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Angle Podcast. Um, we are talking about social media and journalism. So I wanted to talk to Teresa Hegel, who's the executive editor of Digital Content, and Chris Rubo, who is the executive editor of Counselor Magazine at ASI. They work in editorial with me, and both of them have extensive backgrounds in journalism prior to coming to ASI. So I knew that they were going to give a really fun and informed perspective about how social media has impacted journalism. So in today's episode, we talk about how they have shifted kind of more to a hybrid role where they still do an incredible prolific amount of writing, but they're seeing this expectation of being more content producers, thinking about multimedia and also how they cultivate thought leadership and connect with their readership and online communities. In addition, how social media has impacted news organizations. And then, you know, we always like to keep it fun. We go back to high school a little bit and have a nostalgic moment where we talk about our first celebrity crushes and I'm really excited to share that with you so let's get into today's episode with Teresa and Chris. All right welcome to the show guys I am so glad Teresa and Chris from ASI's editorial department are joining me today welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to get into this podcast about social media and journalism and how social media has affected journalism. So I want to learn a little bit more about you. So that being said, you guys both have degrees in English. Tell us a little bit about that choice to study English and also a little bit about your careers for our audience. Okay, I, I guess I'll, I can go first. Yeah. Um, I think the choice to study English was I had no concept of getting a, a real job. <laughs> I just thought like, I really like to read and write. So I'm going to go to school to read books and, and write about them. Um, like yeah. And then, and then I, then I graduated. I was like, Oh gee, I have to, you know, make a living now. I actually went back and got my master's also in English, but that's awesome. Um, I have a certificate in professional writing and editing. So it was like, you know, slightly more useful than, than just, just English. And then I didn't know what, after I graduated from, uh, my master's program, I still didn't know what to do with my life, and I was looking for jobs. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he suggested that I apply at the uh, Vindicator, which was the local paper in Youngstown at the time. And I was like, I don't want to be a journalist. I'm not going to do that. So then I was like, I better just appease him. So, so I applied for the job there just to kind of like get him to stop asking me to apply, apply there, basically. And I got a job as a page designer at the Vindicator. And I was there for a couple of years. And then I came to Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from originally, uh, Eastern PA. And I got a job at the um, Intelligencer in Doylestown, uh, which is right outside of Philly, which is where Chris and I had actually used to work together. But I started out as a copy editor. And at a certain point, copy editing, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that like newspapers were kind of devaluing it. And they were, you know, kind of shrinking copy editing staffs and or, you know, putting them in like, you know, hubs or, or whatnot. So basically reporters had to do more copy editing. So I was like, I actually really like writing. I feel like I need to make a move into reporting. So I became a reporter and then I was a reporter there for, oh, I don't know, many years. And then I came to ASI. <laughs> so I was like a, a, like a reporter for municipal, like regional 
But that's cool though. You know, a lot of people don't know when they go, you know, like into undergraduate and it sounds like your career, though it's not necessarily like linear, you found like your way, like in each position that you have, which is always like the dream, right? Is like, you'll be yeah. able to apply what you've done in undergraduate and then also grad yeah. school and your certificate yeah. as well. But hopefully, you know, it's something that you can build a career out of and not just a job and collect a paycheck. Yeah. So you're obviously very passionate about what you do. So cool. Yeah, and I used to actually edit the uh, books page in the Vindicator, so that was really exciting for me because I got to like read books, like write books and no, read books and write book reviews. So that was fun. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Well, Chris, your turn. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, the in initial plans of being like a professional soccer player or drummer didn't didn't turn out quite the way <laughs> I I hoped, you know. So I had to find an alternative to that. And I figured probably the next coolest thing I could be was a wizard. And since then, you can't really, you can't really be a wizard. But but you didn't get your Harry Potter Harry Potter out. <laughs> well, that's the well. The thing is, is that you can you can read read or and or write books about those things. Nice. So in college, I, I I initially thought I was going to go into academia, and then I was going to study you know mi medieval literature and things like that, mm. and be a, be a professor on it. But my uh, my senior year. I took a journalism course on a whim, and the guy who taught it um, wrote for the. Uh, I went to school up in New England, and he wrote for the for the Boston Globe and for um, the Connecticut Law Tribune. And he said, "You know, you're halfway decent at, at this, and you seem to have an interest in it. Do you do you, I can help you get an internship? Do you, would you would you like to try that?" So I said, "Sure." So I interned at the um, Connecticut Law Tribune, which is a newspaper in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, covering courts and crime and things of that nature and I was like wow this is pretty fun I felt important I was this little 20 year old guy who thought he was going to be a, a wizard or a medieval philosophy professor and, you know, now I'm like at, at the at, at the courthouse talking to uh to these bigwig lawyers and and legislators about you know uh, com complex legal things and and it was just interesting I felt like I was in in, in, in an exciting uh mix and I've kind of just stuck with it ever since. And um, as Teresa mentioned, we both worked at a, at a newspaper in, um, in uh, suburban Philadelphia on the outskirts of Philadelphia. And I did uh, crime and court reporting there for a while. And um, after having young kids and having enough threats from people over my reporting, I said, oh, I gotta maybe transition into a, a, little bit, uh, a little bit less threatening field. And I found ASI. Wow, no, what an interesting transition, because I was just uh, literally about to ask you why you switched, but yeah, you know, going into promo is a little less dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exa exactly, and you, you don't have to work Friday nights and, and chase oh, blinking yeah. sirens, so that's that's really good. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to not have to work weekends. Yeah, yeah to have I used to, at my, my first job, I used to, they had like, a, it was a morning paper during the week, and then an afternoon paper on the weekends, which meant that on Fridays, they had a double shift. Like you would be able to get out the Friday paper and the Saturday paper. Mm -hmm. And and I used to have to work many, 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 many Fridays, 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., then get like four hours off and then 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. I mean, I did get, you know, overtime, but I was making so little money. <laughs> you know, that put me up to like a, maybe like a normal rate of pay for that week. But it was yeah, but that's like a brutal schedule though. Well, I'm glad that you guys like made a transition that like supports work-life balance better for you guys, you know, for and sure. you guys do like an awesome job for ASI. So I wanted to ask you guys our next question, like really, how do you think social media has affected news organizations? Has it been a positive or a negative? What do you guys think? Um, I think it's both. Okay. 
So like I would say on the good side, it's kind of democratized the news a little bit more so that um, just that, that, you know, sometimes like it's kind of like that ivory tower mentality. Like there's, you know, like the news people are, you know, so up there, but now people can criticize it more, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. But I think yeah. it's a good thing to hear other, other voices. So there's, you know, there's more voices out there. So that, that's on the good side. But on the bad side, there's also that rush to be first, even more than there ever was. So people are often like putting things on Twitter before they really know if it's, you know, actually verified. So I think, I think it like, there's that, the other bad thing is just, there is so much more trolling and, you know, like comment sections, never read the comments. It's always, <laughs> there's same thing with like social media. There's just so much negativity related to the news. And then I think it also like, there's a lot of like clickbait and like kind of hot takes I think more so than there was before social media because everyone's trying to get like, you know, all their views and their clicks, you know, up. So I feel like there's a lot of people in the media who will publish, I don't know, like opinions that are kind of, I don't know if they're like totally good faith. I think they're sometimes just to get people riled up. You okay. know? So that's, that. I mean, so I think there are good, there's good aspects, but there's also things that I think are a little negative. No, I totally agree. Like for me, the thing like going back to what you were saying about like kind of, um, you know, making the conversation more diverse, like that's the benefit that I really see. But like you were saying, I think there's sometimes just from an outsider perspective, and you guys can totally challenge me on this. There's like uh, that immediacy, right? Like to push something out. And I have, you know, looked at some interviews from other journalists who are saying like, sometimes it feels pressure to get the piece out. And we're not necessarily sure if like, you know, we're going off what we have. And we feel like, right. you know, the cycle where there would be more time to be able to put into a piece we don't necessarily have because we're pushed to go on to the next topic or just kind of the news cycle where it's 24 hours now. So, but yeah, I'd love to hear your opinion as well, Chris. Yeah, I, I think Teresa actually hit a lot of it. Um you know, the nail on the head, so to speak. Um, I, I think the accelerated news cycles isn't necessarily a, a bad thing in the sense that it's, it's, it's really, I think it's not that journalists weren't motivated before, but I think it's really motivated you to like, I have to do everything in my power to track this down as fastly and as accurately as I can. And that does serve, um, you know, like the audiences that you're trying to, um, that you're trying to serve, I guess, because you're, 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 you're pushing, I think, even more than you maybe would have in the past to, to, get, to get as much as you, as you can out there as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the developing story aspect of it, I think, is, is, is something that's, that's very new, whereas in the, in the past, the old approach was I have to have everything reported out to a T, fact-checked, completely compiled into a perfect package that we're going to then put out into the world. Now it's like, hey, I, there's this big thing going on. I just confirmed something related to it. Here's a quick snippet. You know, this is a developing story. And you kind of, and, and, and if you, on Twitter, for example, you could see those different tweets that kind of uh, um, um, parcel out a story like that. And then on a web page right. itself, you'll see that, um, you know, hey, there's a couple graphs on the story. And it's, hey, we're, this is a developing story. We're learning this. Check back for more. So it's a way of keeping people as up to date as possible. And in a way, I think that's, that, that's a great thing because we're all craving information as fast as possible these days. Um, but on the downside, to Teresa's point, I, I think it's, um, I think it's led to a proliferation of what, of just like garbage throwaway news for the, for the, for the sake of getting, getting clicks. And I think, and I think it has led to, um, 
a, a dissemination of more, a much more inaccurate information. And once inaccurate information's out there, it's a lot harder to put that genie back in the bottle. Right. I mean, that's a that's another good point. Is that anybody can have you know a Twitter account, and it's very easy to look like a legitimate news organization on on the web. So I think people have to do even more work to kind of make sure the news that they're getting is you know, reliable and like a good source of information. That being said though, this is a, a little slightly off topic, but you know, how do you guys, like do you guys have tips for verifying a news source? Because I think that can sometimes be the problem is there's just so much. And like you were saying, Chris, you know, it's awesome because you can get those up to the minute updates on the topic you're following. Like if you're really invested in a story that's breaking, but in the same time, you know, there's so many different places to choose from. And, you know, people make mistakes. It's run by humans, people make error. So it's like, uh, you know, is there things that you can say being on the other side of the desk or just good ways to just, you know, say, wow, this is a verified source. I know what I'm getting from this person is accurate. Um, well, I would say, I mean, sometimes it's just as simple as if, if this news looks like it's too good to be true or if it's already like playing into what you already believe, like definitely don't just like retweet that right away. Like look at where, you, where it's coming from. Um, I mean, and there's plenty of sites out there that do like media bias and, and fact checking. So you can actually just like a lot of times I'll do that because I'll read a story and it's like, I don't really recognize that. Like if it's not like the Washington Post or, you know, some reputable like newspaper that, that or, or TV news source, if it's something I'm like, well, I don't know what, what that site even is. I'll kind of, I'll just put that website into one of those sites that tells you like, okay, well, this is, you know, left-leaning or right-leaning but it also is mostly factual or this gets things wrong a lot of times. I mean, you know, maybe some people would have problems with, with those sites that evaluate it, but I find them to be pretty, you know, accurate and kind of judging whether those websites are, um, you know, factual or, you know, how, the, what kind of bias they might have either way. Okay. Um, and I always, I, I always will, I always look at who the, you know, the byline is because just because I'm always curious, but I think it's good to kind of see who's writing the story. And maybe you, if you look them up, you can see what other things that they've written and find out more about the actual author. So, I mean, it depends on how deep you want to go, but I really think don't just, you know, click or retweet without thinking, you know, take a couple of seconds just to verify the website, verify to see if anyone else has that same news. Because as we all know, there's been so many hoaxes of like, this person died and then, you know, they didn't really die. So like it, it behooves you to take a couple seconds just to make sure that other people are saying the same thing and the place that you're getting it from is someplace that people have vetted and, and respected. I like this. Yeah, and, and, and Teresa's talking about, you know, like online sources and, and, and sourcing from uh, what we'd call, where we're almost doing the secondary reporting based off of, um, you know, say like NBC reported something and then we know that that's a, leg a legitimate or, or, or another such source. If you're talking about, Melissa, like first, like where we're directly interacting with people, we kind of look for people who would be legitimate experts in their fields who they can, who you can, who you can verify. Um, so for instance, if I'm doing a story about, um, you know, uh, import tariffs, I know that I, that uh, David Nicholson, who's president of Polyconcept, a huge company in our industry, is an absolute expert on that and, and his sort any opinion that he's going to give me is, is probably a pretty valid, well thought out one. So that, that's how you kind of go about looking at sources like that. If I have somebody randomly call me and say, you know, tariffs are going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
look for the bag behind Does that happen often and you know you'd be surprised some of the random things we get but um but then obviously you're going to want to check that person out a lot more and you're going to uh you know a recognized expert in, in a field so that's that's just a very extremely basic way of proceeding you know but that's yeah. that's a good yeah. way to go yeah. And people that are very into the idea of being like an anonymous source, <laughs> um, especially I, I remember at the paper, I, somebody wanted to be like an anonymous source. It was a, but it was like a story about her kid doing like something for Girl Scouts, like raising money. But she didn't want her name used. She didn't want the kid's name used. I'm like, how can I write this story? <laughs> like, I don't understand stuff, like what yeah. you're expecting right from me. That's funny. But, but yeah, I mean, like you, there's definitely people that have an agenda. They're like just they're calling you up randomly to kind of bash another company, but they don't want their name used. Right. Like, okay, you're like, you're the competitor. Going on <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you. No, I think those are good tips that our audience can take. So getting kind of into the timeline of when social media bursts onto the scene, I feel like, you know, for somebody who's in it daily now and gets paid to do it, it's hard to believe there was ever a time that it like, you know, my phone wasn't glued to my hand and I wasn't checking like Twitter, but you know, it seems that, 2005 is when traction really like came about for social so for you guys as consumers and the audience what was your first initial reactions like were you guys like oh my god this is a fad that's going to go away in like a year or two or like were you really excited about this as media professionals um well when so 2005 we were not really using social media like in the newsroom at that time I mean I was I was in I wasn't a reporter yet at that point I think I was still uh, copy editor, but we didn't, I don't think the reporters were really using it much at that time. And I never had a MySpace or anything like that. I think I didn't get like Facebook until 2007, maybe 2008, something like that. Um, and then Twitter, I remember like going to like a conference and they were talking about how great Twitter was. And I was like, oh, what is Twitter? This is, sounds really weird, but I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll try it. So I signed up for it, but then I didn't really understand the point of it. And then I think I got hacked. I was like, well, I'm done with that. No more Twitter for me. <laughs> but I hate it. <laughs> but then like, you know, not too long after that, they're like, hey, everyone, you need to be on Twitter. I'm like, okay. So I got a new Twitter. And um, at, at, at first I remember, I think everybody was kind of like, a lot of people in the old media were like, this is silly. It's why are we doing this? Why do we have to report things that are tweeted? This is so dumb. Um, and it took a long time, I think, for people to really catch on to the value of it. Yeah. And, um, but, but I mean, like once I did, like I, I, I did really start to see how good it was as a reporter. I remember, I think I was covering an election once. I don't remember which one, but I was in Percocy. I was like in line and so I was like, oh, I see your tweets, Teresa. I know you from Twitter. <laughs> I'm like, so I used to, cause I used to, you know, like whenever I would go to like a Percocy meeting or a school board meeting, I would like, I would live tweet um, in between like taking my notes and people actually would say, oh, I showed up a, at a meeting because you like mentioned it on Twitter. I mean, not like a lot of people, but there were people that said things like that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Or if I would be at like, I don't know, fire, or I think I had to cover like a police standoff. Um, it was on Father's Day actually. Um, and you know, that people like really were appreciating those updates, those live updates. That, that's when I started to see, okay, this is really cool. Like this is helping people. So it took me a little while to kind of understand the value of it but once I did I was like okay all right I can get it behind you know how this is actually helping our constituents like get the news quicker and they actually are reading it and responding to it so it took me a while but eventually I, I adopted it and, and liked it 
That's awesome. So what about like from a personal perspective, like you saw the value in it from like a professional uh, perspective, but it sounds like you were a little bit slow to adopt it. So like in a personal use, are you still invested in social? Like has your opinion? Well, I mean, I think once you have a kid and you have like family and friends that are really far away, it's a pain to have to like send emails to everyone with pictures. It's much easier to just like have Facebook um, and just Put the pictures out and then everyone can see them and then no one's complaining that you're not sending them you know grandkid photos <laughs> you know like it's all centralized so, i mean yeah i definitely use um you know facebook and instagram and sometimes i'll even go on pinterest and all that stuff I, I use it i mean you know i wouldn't say that i'm on it all the time but i'm definitely using social media both professionally and personally okay what about you chris yeah to, to your first question i it I'd be lying if I said that in 2005, I, I had a, a, a sense of what social media would become to, to media, but I, I, I did have a, a general sense that 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 news was going to be, di- you know, digitalized and that and that the delivery of of news was going to move l- largely on online, you know, um, a, away from, you know, print products as at one editor I had put, you know, eventually they're, we're going to stop, you know, cutting down trees to, to then put print, you know, to then put words on paper so we could cut down more trees and then put gas in the car to deliver those dead trees with words in them to, you know, to, to, to people's houses when we have a much more efficient means of doing that, you know, over conveying information that is, you know, over the internet. Right. right. So I had a sense that that was going to happen in a huge, huge way and was already happening at that time. And as social media started to emerge, I figured that it was going to you know, have a significant role in driving that. What that role is going to be, I, I, I didn't know. Um, similar to Teresa, I, I would say that I was not not skeptical, but I was worried that those that those platforms would become um, kind of what they are, at least in a negative sense, which is, which is a way of, of, of spreading misinformation or inaccurate inaccurate information or the, the dreaded false news, right? You know, or fake news or whatever. So, so. Um, I guess I saw saw some of that happening in advance. But to Teresa's point, when you when you use the right way, I mean, how could you not like them? They're a means of immediate communication to literally the entire world, you know. So um, you could, no matter how isolated an issue it is, uh, you can or how broad you can communicate it to as big an audience as is on Twitter or as is on Instagram or as is on Facebook, whatever it might be. So what about like in your personal life? Like, are you somebody who uses social media hesitantly or are you somebody who's no, like, I, no, not, not at all. I mean, I'm not on it all the time because we, but we do so much of it for work that I like to be away from, from screens for a bit. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm active enough on Facebook, I guess, I guess you could say. I'm your, I'm your, I'm like your, like your first gen millennial, right? You know, that's my, <laughs> that's my age range. I'm like right on that cusp of Gen X and millennial. So like I'm, a, I'm in like the Facebook, which is kind of like the grandpa of uh, social media. Wrinkle book, they call it now. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ex- ex- exactly. So my, my kids right. have an even worse name for it, but I can't, I can't repeat it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, act- I'm active on that. And then, um, you know, Twitter to a lesser degree. Okay. So like, do you have like a favorite, Teresa, if you don't mind me asking, like a favorite social media network? Um, I am on, I think Twitter, even though I also call it kind of like a hellscape, but um, I like it. So I, I, I like to kind of curate my feed. I read, a, I have a lot of like other authors. I have a lot of like book Twitter on there and a lot of uh, journalists. And um, so I, I feel like 
I really, I like to have that up to minute news and like, I love the way like memes will kind of like get started on there and just like iterate like you. And the only thing is it's a, it's a problem when you're kind of get catching it at the tail end and you'll be seeing something like the thing with like Kim Kardashian's 40th birthday and everyone was like tweeting about like the island and I was like, what are they talking about? The private <laughs> island. So it's like, then I have to go back and do some little like detective work. Cause I'm like nosy. I'm like, what is this? This has got to be something. So then I have to like kind of hunt back to see what the original thing was. But I do, I like, I like the way like these kind of, you know, like the memes and like the creativity that just like spiral so quickly. And I like to kind of be up on, you know, what's going on in like the book world and what's going on in like the journalist world. Um, I, you know, I don't like the uh, harassment and the trolling and, and that part of Twitter, but, but I think that it's cool to, it's cool that everyone kind of has, has that voice and those conversations can happen that maybe would never happen in in real life. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny, like, I'm sure you guys can name people that are fans of your work that you've maybe just like shits in the night have just yet to meet at a trade show or another industry event, but your best friends online, right? You know, it's like people who like your work, they support what you do, you know? And like you said, it's cool to have like, these online communities like yes like it would be nice if we could get rid of like trolling and you know the things like negative like and hate that come out of that unfortunately when you know other bad people find other bad people but I feel like for the most part it's a positive way to connect with other people and disperse really important information you know whether it's for entertainment a resource education it's just like a neat way to put your stuff out there oh, so for sure because like even like what Teresa said like I think I slightly misunderstood your question. Like, am I actively posting constantly? No, but am I on it all the time? Yeah, because it's like I'm like I'm part of. We're all part of different like communities within the, the platform, which is kind of yeah. like what Ther Teresa's uh, talking about. And you're able to connect with people through that, or just passively follow things that are going on within those communities that 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 interest you. So in that sense, very active. Yeah. And which like platforms do you favor? Like you mentioned Facebook before, but like, are there other ones that you use? You have like a secret Pinterest board that we need to know about, Chris? Or <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I keep all like up. my homemade apron making to my to myself. <laughs> um, I don't want everybody to know about that, you know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm again, I'm not posting really often on Instagram, but I'm following lots of people on Instagram and I'm checking stuff out on there and. And Twitter, um, I'm always on that for work. And then as a result, I've, I've joined different groups, communities, excuse me, et cetera, on there and, and, I'm fo and following different things on there. Okay. You guys both have talked a little bit about, you know, kind of like your workflow and how social media has, um, you know, changed that over time. But what is it like now for you guys at, as editors at ASI? Like, what does an average day look like for you or maybe week? And I'm sure it's probably not average, especially like this year, but with social media playing a part of that. Um, I mean, you know, I think every day is a little different, but, you know, typically, you know, you're working on your feature story for the magazine, maybe stories that are for like daily stories that are just for the web. Um, you know, you're tweeting out, uh, you know, a story that's finished. You'll probably tweet a link out to it. You might be doing... Um, you know, Facebook Live for like a podcast, you know? Um, right. So I think like, it's kind of like all, it kind of jumps back and, and forth. I mean, it's definitely, I would say there's a lot more going on than, you know, when I started, even when I first started here at ASI, because I don't think that we, when I started here, we were on the web, but it was not like the push that it was to be digital first at that time, because we had a lot more magazines and it was more like print and then, oh yeah, we got to do stuff on the web too. 
So that's, it's definitely changed a lot in the last, I guess, six years that I've been here. Wow. Um, now, and especially, especially this year because of the coronavirus, like we always had kind of talked about being digital first, but I think with the coronavirus, this is the first time we really are digital mm -hmm. first because we've had to be, which is good. I think that's where we needed to go, but I feel like we were like trying to do that, but it's, it's hard to, to kind of fully make that transition. So. Mm -hmm. What about you, Chris? Yes, it's really similar. We wear so many different hats um, in, in a day and, and, and hats that I frankly never thought I'd, I'd be wearing. I, ne I never wanted to be in front of a camera. I kind of, once I got into journalism, I figured I was going to be doing, you know, longer and longer investigative style, you know, uh, newspaper or magazine in-depth kind of features. And I still do a lot of them at ASI, right? Usually at least a couple a month of, of things like that. But whereas that might have been a career 20 years ago, just kind of focusing on that kind of that kind of stuff. Now it's like, okay, Chris, you do that. That's great. What are the 10 other things that you're going to do? <laughs> so, we're, so we're so we're filing. So we're filing. Um, uh, Teresa and I interact constantly all day because we're 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 super active with getting content online on asicentral.com backslash news. So we're so we're always we're we're writing stories, we're editing stories, we're getting stuff up there, keep, keeping up to developments with developments in the larger marketplace and how they affect the promotional products industry. So when those things come into play, we're trying to get, get, you know, content created on that as fast as possible and written all while we're still managing that little matter of putting out, you know, monthly magazines, which, um, you know, an incredible amount of work that goes, in, goes into mm -hmm. that as well in terms of editing and research and, and writing, but we're ne but you're never, whereas again, even maybe a decade ago, that would be your job would be putting together that monthly magazine and re doing the research for that. Now it's like, okay, yes, that's part of your day. Um, but the, but the rest of the day is you're active on social media. You're getting that content posted. You're like, like Teresa, you're recording a podcast right now. You're set, you're setting up a Facebook live for the, for the following week. You're trying to be, um, you know, an amicable and social with, with industry peers on, on, on Twitter or other uh, social media platforms. And that's all wrapped into part of every day. Yeah. And I think, and that's the other thing too, is like, I never, like you said, I never thought I would be, would want to, or would be, you know, in front of the camera. That never was something that would have appealed to me. I, I actually find that I like it more than I thought I would. You but... guys are awesome. Like, <laughs> that's why I was so like excited to do this podcast with both you guys. I feel like you guys have such a good cadence and such good person. Yeah. But yes, continue. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say like, so if you had, if someone had told me that's what I was doing when I was starting out, I'd be like, oh, nope, I got to find a new job. That's not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But because I sort of eased myself into it, it's, it's turned out to be okay. I do like it. Um, but also the other thing I never would have thought about is how much kind of marketing and branding you have to do on your own. Too. Personal you know branding. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Personal branding. Cause it's like all, all that stuff you do on Twitter, like posting your own stories and kind of getting your name out there. That's, you know, I, I never would have thought that that's something that would be up to me to, to worry about. So yeah. I think that's another part of the job that's, that's new. That, that is huge. That is such a huge point. And most, I know we're probably going a little far afield for you here, but just to throw it out there that whereas in the past, it, the word content creator like didn't exist. We're 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 mm -hmm. we're writers, right? And and as a writer, you didn't worry about how the information was disseminated. It was going to be put into a, a print, some kind of printed form, and shipped out to people. That didn't really cross your mind much. That kind of, like, but now not only are you a content creator, you're a content distributor too, which means that you're that you're a marketer. And what you're marketing is your your intellectual your own you know intellectual property, your own um, you know per personal brand for that for that field that you're hopefully an expert in and um 
so that that has been a learning curve too because um as i found i'm not very i wasn't very good and probably still not at, at personal at personal branding but you're but but you're but we've kind of grown into this out at, at of necessity because of how things have, have changed you know that being said though and you guys touched on so many awesome points for this like do you guys have a preference like it sounds like you became experts in other aspects that affected your role that maybe it wasn't something you studied in school or had more formal training but it was like that necessity like you know like you said marketing yourself and your intellectual property like making yourself stand out as a prominent person in your industry but if you guys like you know could genie you know it back to it just being print would you guys make it like that or well, listen I, I already i already told you i want i wanted to be like a, a wizard right so I, I, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be like happy like sitting in a room like you know like like making potions or old scrolls i think i, I think i'd be all right with that but no, um no kid, kid, kidding aside i i like it because i in in the sense that it's like I've had to grow as a part. It's been like, it's been a challenge because it's not something that maybe I would have ever naturally been inclined to really do, you know, and, and it's, it's been a challenge and kind of to, to Teresa's point, I've, um, I, I found that I, that, you know, not that I'm maybe not as terrible as, as I thought I would have been, you know, and that, and, and that I, and I don't uh, dislike it or fear it as much as I maybe initially did. And now I'm like, oh, I kind of like this because I, I have a role to play here and I'm, I'm, I'm part of something and hopefully among a small audience seen as a little bit of, of a source or an expert in this field. So that, in that sense, it's been, it's been nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that same, same for me. I think that it's not something I would have sought out, but I really enjoy what I'm what I'm doing. I mean, sometimes you know you wish there's a little less of it that you didn't have to be all over the place every day. Right. But I, I don't I also don't think I would want to be doing the same thing every day, day in and day out. So I like that there's the variety. I like that we get to do all our hands are in all different kinds of areas. And the other thing that I, I found that I, I really enjoy is that you know I've been um, I kind of run the interns program for for ASI, and I actually really enjoy being like a mentor to young journalists, which I never would have thought of myself as being, you know, a source of like mentorship for them or somebody that they could like learn something from. Cause I'm like, I feel like I don't know anything. So how can I be telling you, you know, what to be doing? But I actually really, I really love like, you know, helping them kind of find their voice and showing you know, the young journalists, like, you know, kind of what, what they can be doing and, and how to improve themselves. So that's another aspect I never thought I would do, but I also really like. No, and you guys are both so good at it. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people come to you, um, you know, like Chris, just seeing the stories that you produce because you're that person that's out there, that's active, like they know your face. You know, again, like even if they haven't met you in person, you know, they see you as a prominent figure in this industry. And I feel like, you know, uh, for somebody who, you know, didn't necessarily see themselves as being a mentor, all the interns that I've seen you had, it's been like such a great relationship and such an awesome process. And you're like, you know, mentoring the next generation, you know, which is really exciting. So that being said, you know, this is kind of a curveball of a question. What do you guys think is next for like social media and journalism? Like, where do you guys think, like, you know, look into your crystal ball, you know, summon your magic, Chris, for like the next. <laughs> the uh, next, next I like how you tied that in. That was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what do I see that's next? Um, I, I think that we're going to, I, I do think that whether it whether it comes from the platforms themselves mm -hmm. or, whether it, or whether it's imposed um you know from the gut from governments we're already seeing it to a degree I, I i do think that we're going to see 
some more refereeing of, of content um, than, than we've seen uh, over the over the what we'll call this this initial this initial decade or decade and a half of, of, of social media um, uh, in an effort to kind of clamp down on the amount of, of misinformation that, that can be spread out there. So I do think, that 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 it's already that's already occurring to a degree from the platforms themselves, but I think there's going to be more intense efforts on that and more mm -hmm. more um, concentrated efforts as as time goes on. And whenever you have that kind of um, that kind of refereeing or that that kind of uh, more increased controls, you're gonna there's gonna it can it, it can have unintended negative consequences on on how um, you know. You, you may not be doing anything wrong. Your content may be perfectly valid, but you know you might run into issues with disseminating it because some algorithm had had an issue with it, right? So right. I, I just think that that's going to be something that we might have to be more conscious of as as time goes on, and just learn how to deal with so we're not running up against you know having having that police. That's kind of um that's maybe just like a more like negative thing on 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 a on a positive thing. I think that that it's going to it's going to continue to be um, forums where we can we can grow com communities globally, you know, like and and for the promotional products industry, which is uh, you know a, a, a obviously a global industry, I think that's great because it's gonna it, it can increase, you know, we can learn from say like I just did a story on the European promo market, right, and we can learn from things that they're doing over there, right, and they can learn from things that we're doing over here, and I think the social media can fa facilitate that discussion in, in a positive way when used correctly, so. I, I think um, we'll see a, a lot more of that, like the, this, this, these already global networks becoming even larger. Um, and um, I could go on forever on this, but like another big thing, too, as I think from the like major, what in Teresa's day, we would have called news networks, you know, and things, <laughs> things like that, like CBS and Fox, like, like they're already so active on it. But I, I, I think that you're going to see even more of their attention focused toward creating social media specific content. It's not, okay, we created um, a, a vid and we chucked it on our website and then we posted that. It's gonna be like, no, how do we optimize video for Twitter? Or how do we optimize video for Instagram? And I know people are already doing this, but I just think uh, you're asking from like news organization perspective, yeah. I think it's gonna become even more focused on doing it and, and honing that to, 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 to maximize what the platforms can do for them. And I think there's going to be a lot of efforts, even more efforts, I should say, to monetize that that content through social media. No, I totally agree. The one thing, though, I'm kind of scared of, like, especially with everybody getting so, um, so behind, like, the social dilemma. I don't know if you guys, if you guys have yet to watch that on Netflix yet. <laughs> no, I heard that it's kind of a deceptive uh, documentary, though. So. It is. It's, a. I mean, you know, like, the, um, the room the acting in it is not that great, but the information that they're talking about has been around for like a hot minute. And I think for most people who are in either communications, digital marketing, media, like it's not new to you, you know, like targeting from an ad, things like that, where like, you know, you seem to talk about something and, you know, it appears in your feed. But I wonder how, like what sanctions, how these things would be policed because there's been, you know, such rapid growth on some of the platforms, like look at Facebook. And now like there's people who can't, you know, run certain types of ads because it falls under finance or, you know, politics or maybe something that somebody could find potentially offensive, but it's like, who's making that decision? So I think that there's going to be a lot more, you know, battles for media professionals and people who are in communications and digital marketing to, you know, advocate for the content they're creating and not being like censored, you know, because I think like you guys- yeah, that you 
you, you know. said in a much better way what I was what I was trying to say, what I was trying to say is that is, is that um that's a that, that's what we're going to have to look out for more because it's because we you know what's the first amendment right it's it's, it's, mm. it's free speech and that's supposed to be guaranteed but when you have a when you have private companies which is what these social media uh, giants are um right. being controlling the main mechanisms for expressing speech they can then put they can then put private con company controls on things because it's their own property that, that don't necessarily conform with what we would expect in a, in a, in a public forum like like mm -hmm. like free speech and that's and that's worrying even though they'd be doing it out of good intention you know, right, you know right. Right. Yeah. right yeah yeah i mean i i think that um i think there might be a bit of a backlash against some of social media and i think you're already starting to see that a little bit just i think maybe the the monopolizing of it, you know, like how just how big Facebook is. I think people are starting to have kind of a backlash against all of big tech just yeah. because it's grown so big. And a lot of, you know, people didn't realize how big it was until you turn around and it's just like, oh, it's Amazon, Google, and, you know, Facebook. That's, they're kind of controlling our whole, our lives. So I don't know. I feel like there's going to be more people kind of, you know, it, it does, there's a lot of, you know, value in, in how easy things are with, you know, with all the, the, the big tech and, and and social media but there's also a lot of things that we have given up because of it so i don't know i feel like i feel like it's always it's going to be there but i think it's definitely things are going to maybe change a little bit and i, I think my, my only polite counterpoint to that would be that yeah like like i i hear that like that that frustration at disgust and like you know like like Mark Mark Zuckerberg owns a county basically yeah. you know, with, 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 with the amount of money he has but like but people still use the they're still mm -hmm. on there they're still scrolling scroll you know with, with both both two or two thumb and two thumb scrolling you know through through everything so yeah. it's 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 funny because it's it's like when people say they want to buy they oh they definitely want to buy made in the usa products but they still buy the, the 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 cheaper version it's like so people say how they feel in one thing but then they don't they do right their, right. their yeah. actions are they they don't actually stop using it you know it's like it, it, yeah it's okay fine you're right chris <laughs> <laughs> it's be horrible this is like the end of the world <laughs> i agree though with both of you i think you guys make really good valid points because i feel like what it comes down to sometimes is don't you guys think it's like the trade-off for like convenience like people will pay for convenience and i feel like you know you know the commodity is us you know like they're monetizing you know like our behavior basically like yeah. you're trying to you know use our data our information you know to make people make purchase decisions right. or you know to find out more and to market smarter so i feel like now that we have that which is extremely powerful you know i think it's going to be hard for larger companies that are utilizing that like not so much mom and pop stores that don't really have the, you know education experience or the staff to do something like that but i think for larger juggernauts like you were talking about like amazon it's it's going to really be hard to pull that back you know mm -hmm. so it's you know it'll be interesting to see like you know what comes in the next decade especially with everything that's happened this year and us kind of being hurtled forward you know a couple of years uh and everything with technology and being dependent on it you know what will come of it but well, oh i was oh, gonna no. say one one quick thing um, so you, you mentioned like the com commodity is us. It's funny because I that brings me back to the other question about like what was social media like or what did people think of social media back when it first started? 
I don't know if you guys remember, like, but when Twitter came out for like years, they're like, how are they ever going to make money? This is never going to make any mm-hmm. money. Like, and Facebook too. And then it's like, oh, wait, I guess it wasn't, they didn't need to like charge subscriptions. We we were the commodity all along. Right. Yeah. I, guess people, I don't I think people would. realized that at the time. <laughs> they didn't realize like what they were signing up for. Eyeballs, right? There's yep. more eyeballs you get in one space. It's that you can turn that into money if you're clever. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about doom and gloom and technology taking over our life, let's end with a fun question. So, Teresa, I'll ask you first, who was your high school celebrity crush? Okay, so this is probably going to date me because, you know, as Chris said, he's an older millennial on the cusp of Gen Gen X, right? I'm um, a younger Gen Xer who is, you know, maybe like, right on the cusp of the cutoff from being a millennial. So I think I'm a few years older than he is. Um, not that I like to admit that, but whatever. Um, anyway, so my so my crush, my crush was, uh, do you guys remember the X-Files? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, David X-Files. Duchovny, I was like, so all about David Duchovny. Really? Oh yeah. I, there's actually a song, there's a singer who has a song about, it's like David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love Me? Great <laughs> <laughs> song. You, you should now look it put up. that on Twitter today. That will be a good, yeah. yeah that's it was a good such share. a good song. I was I was obsessed with him. And people used to call me Scully back in the day. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. So that was that was my my uh, celebrity crush. That's I think I, I got over it though, because he, he did not, um, Julian Anderson, she she looks great now. He's not, as he hasn't held up as well as she has. <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm going to Google that the second we finish it. <laughs> I checked in call. on David in a few years. So. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Oh, man. So my, mine, you're ready, ready for mine? Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to actually like think about this because um, I, I couldn't really remember. And then it hit me and it hit me like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you remember, do, Melissa, it's way before your time, probably, but 90210, do you remember Beverly Hills 90210? Yes, I, I remember like, some of the original one. Yeah, yeah I, I, I had a big crush on Shannon Darty, who was- Really? Yeah, it was, uh, I ooh, she was pretty, and I just, I just, I, I liked her a lot. I, I still do a little bit. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Mine was Justin Timberlake. Like, in looking back, like on all this stuff, I was just like his frosted, like curly hair, and all like the <laughs> denim bedazzle jackets. Oh my gosh! Like, yeah. Well, I, I have to, I have to show you a picture then. From, uh, we're getting really off the rails here, but, um, but from the, from the. Uh, aspiring wizard days back way back when <laughs> I, I i had the timberlake hair yeah and, and it's in oh my, my i mean i had it i'm not uh-huh. proud to admit but it was like i have curly hair naturally and then i, I did the, the blonde and it was, uh, <laughs> maybe not my best decision but so. among us has not done uh frosted tips at one point <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, it yeah. was the 90s why not yeah. exactly yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure speaking with both of you guys. I'm so excited to share this with our audience. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.